part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2 this morning as we uh, look through there. Again, uh, probably in 37 years of ministry, I've only preached a Mother's Day sermon, if you want to call it that, a few times. Most of the time we're going through a book, but since we're taking a little bit of a break, uh, I thought that this would be a good follow-up from last week with our uh, parent-child dedication of what does it really mean to, uh, to raise little humans. And it's quite a challenge. And I realize that we have a variety of, of life experiences here, that we have some that are anticipating that day, some that you're going, okay, I don't know that that day will ever get here, and others that are already into grandparent. Do we have any great-grandparents with us this morning? Okay, we, we do have great, we have two great-grandparents. And so, um, so it's one of those things I can only imagine that some of the truths that we see this morning just are amplified as you get, begin to see that kind of taking on, you know, a, a legacy and uh, the generations. One of the verses that I love in the Bible is that, you know, that a good man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. And I don't think it's talking about an inheritance of money. I mean, that's always okay to do that, but it's a spiritual inheritance that so we, we kind of let our children in such a way that we were talking about last week. In fact, Bruce, we talked about an illustration that you uh, gave one night at one of our men's meetings about how your dad had paved that road so wide, it was almost impossible you to fall off that road. And we used that last week about just that that's what we want to do as parents. We want to guide our children in such a way that we would live our lives in such a way that that path would be so wide that it would be almost impossible. Now, we really realize free will. We understand that we cannot impart the Holy Spirit upon our children. We understand that they're going to, you know, very much going to have to make that personal choice with Jesus Christ one day. At the same time, we can pave roads. And we can really set standards and we can live a life of holiness and, and humility before a holy God that would just be attractive to our children. And I understand that more this year than probably ever before being a new granddad. And again, I, I apologize already. I realize grandpapa comes into this quite a bit the last three months. But this is the coolest thing. You know, it really is. And it's, but it does give you this sense with that next generation of some of those biblical truths that you begin to see, why it was so important for these men and these women that just wanted to follow hard after Christ, why they wanted to establish that into their children so that their children's children truly would have an inheritance. Really, kind of what's amazing, the, the older we get too, is the simple fact of that we're still alive. Maybe you've seen some of these articles in, on the Internet before. But uh, there was one article that uh, I saw uh, a while back, and I was reminded of it the other day. It was right after our Cornerstone preschool graduation on Thursday. And we were out there, and I was talking with a couple of the dads, and, uh, and they were talking, you know, about, yeah, it's a different day now that our kids are growing up. And I'm going, they're 20-something. What do you know about a different day? But they were already talking about some of the things that they did as children that are just, you know, un- unthoughtful. Uh, ungodly now, almost. And uh, can we show some of those pictures there? Uh, does anybody remember jarts? Lawn darts? You know, they don't make those anymore. And maybe for a good reason. Now they make plastic ones with this rounded tip. 
I mean, if you threw it at somebody as hard as you wanted to, it probably would not hurt them because it's rounded and it's plastic. But when I was growing up and when many of you were growing up, we thought it was perfectly natural. Hey, let's let the kids go in the backyard and throw little mini javelins around and uh, see who wins the game. So, uh, so we, we survived that. It's the next one there. Okay, no seatbelts. Okay. Uh, see that one in the corner, the kids hanging out? How many of y'all ever did that? Yeah. Ricky, I think you just posted last night about you sleeping in the, like, in the back seat on the, 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 what would you call that? The deck, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can remember doing that because that was a sunny place. It was kind of, you got back there. Now think about it from a human safety factor. Okay, you're sitting back there in the back seat. You're not even in the seat. You're on that little ledge there in the back. Dad puts on the brakes really hard. You are a human missile. I mean, it really wasn't smart, and yet we grew up, and somehow we survived that. What's the next one there? You really can't see this. I actually had a pair of those pants that that guy in the yellow. If you see the brown with the stripe, that was like my one cooler pair of pants because for the most part, we shopped at not-so-cool stores and growing up, and we didn't have a lot of money. And so I had that one pair of cool pants. And I don't know if they're cool anymore when you wear them four out of five days to school. You know, if you wear them all the time, are they still cool? But I can remember that. But remember riding around without helmets? Not only did we ride around, but this is what we were sharing the other day. We would leave sometimes in the summer at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, have a little bit of breakfast, meet everybody out there. Grew up in Gwinnett County, and where Gwinnett Mall is now was all woods back in those days. There was Pleasant Hill Church up there. That's not even there now. Uh, I think there's a Bahama Breeze that probably is about that same approximate place. And Ed and Dave Moon were two of my buddies, and we would ride over there. That was about three miles from my house. Then we would go out into the country on these country roads and drive all day. We just knew that we had to be back for supper. So think about it, 8 o'clock in the morning to probably about 5.30 or 6 o'clock at night. No cell phones, no communication, just you know, crazy kids out there on their bikes. Now, I'm not suggesting you should do that nowadays. Times really have changed. But somehow we survived that. Somehow we went out and played all day long and thought it was the most miserable thing in the world that he had to come home to eat supper. Now, this is the one that really has changed with time. That, the next one. Okay. How many of you girls can remember? <laughs> you know, there was no thing. There wasn't anything as SPF. You know, it was like, okay, how do I accelerate this? And you can't read it, but underneath there uh, in the ad, it said, do you want a deep, dark tan? You put on this tan-fastic dark tanning oil, and basically they were promising you that the sun was going to center in on you and fry you like bacon. And, and somehow we were attracted to that. Somehow we thought that that was really good. By the time we come along and have kids, we go from the baby oil thing to how many of you would put 110 SPF, if, that's, if they made that, then long sleeves and a hat and covering. I mean, there was no way any solar existence would get into your body whatsoever. And you're going, okay, have fun at the beach now. And you're like walking like this, covered completely because of this fear. Now, again, I realize about skin, skin cancer. I realize that we are now smarter perhaps than we were. But somehow we survived all those days through ignorance, 
through whatever. We survived those days. And it's a miracle that we're here. And then we come to a place when it's our children, and all of a sudden there's something that kicks in, and we're not really as foolhardy as we were before. All of a sudden we're very protective. All of a sudden we want, you know, when, when you read an article, how many of you have ever read an article on the Internet, that great source of truth, uh, where everything is true, and then you went and checked your child, you know, for this disease or for that, or somehow, you know, you use this information to go out there, and you just instantly wanted to kind of apply it to your child. I get that. I think we all get that. And at the same time, guys, aren't you glad that in this whole parenting thing that there is the grace of God? Aren't you glad that in our ignorance of knowing all the right answers, that somehow God comes in there and, uh, and just helps us in this whole parenting task? I don't know that there's a, a, a more, at times, satisfying job than parenting, and I don't know that there's a more challenging job. Because there's something that erupts in your heart, and, and I use this term very purposely, but I don't know this is a term that we are to be endeared to. I don't know that I really understood fear until I, until I started having fear for my child. Does that make sense to any of you? I mean, I don't remember really being afraid of a lot of things. I'm not saying that I'm some courageous person. I'm just going, there, there's a fear that comes with raising children. There's a fear of doing the wrong thing or the vulnerability of children. And, and guys, you don't have to turn on the news for five minutes to see that more and more. I mean, if my child came up and said, yeah, we want to leave at 8 o'clock in the morning, we want to ride our bicycles with no helmets, and we, we'll be back about 6 o'clock, I'm going, yeah, what planet are you from? Because it's certainly not this planet, and there's no way that I would do that in this time and age. And yet, with all of the things that seemingly have changed in just one or two generations, here's the consistent thing that you and I can count on this morning. That God is sovereign, that he is sufficient, that he is holy, and that all the vulnerabilities that we see that are out there in life, especially when it comes to our children, that God's still ruling and reigning on his throne. I can't imagine some of the things that you face, sicknesses, illnesses, different things like that, estrangements, other things that are going on in your life. I can't imagine. It's hard for me to come. I just can only imagine that if I feel this way and it's on this deep level, how much more... Some of those vulnerabilities of fear come into the lives of every parent. That on some days we're greatly courageous. Some days we just are ready to go. And then other days we really just want to kind of shrink and, and hide ourselves and hide our family because we're fearful of the world that they're growing up in. As we open up to Exodus chapter 2, even though it was thousands of years ago, well, we see a mom that really was built in, uh, was growing a, ch- a family and, and had a child in the midst of what could be a very, very fearful situation. Her name is Jochebed. We don't know her as much as we know her son that she has, Moses. Moses is probably one of the most famous people out of the Bible. In fact, if you said, if you just went out to the street, people that are not even, let's say, regular in church, and you said, okay, who are some Bible characters that you know? I would imagine that Moses would probably be listed in the top five of most people out there because, you know, if nothing else, they know about Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, 
or something like that. And they were kind of familiar with the whole Moses thing. Well, this is the story of his mom and he and, he and how he came into this world. Uh, we go back and what we find is that they're in a time where the, even though they're the chosen people of God, the Israelites, they are in captivity. They're going to spend 430 years in captivity. In other words, generation after generation after generation, they're growing up with the Pharaoh and the Egyptians over them. And basically, they are the slaves and the servants to the Egyptians. And so that's the environment that we see this happening. And yet, in the midst of that, it's amazing that they were still multiplying. And they were growing as a nation. And more and more and more, they were more Israelites. To the point where the Egyptians began to look and say, look, they keep on growing in number, even though they're living in these drastic kind of dire times and we put all this stress upon them and yet they're multiplying and they became fearful. They said, one day, if this keeps on going, there's going to be so many more Israelites than Egyptians and they might overthrow us. So look what happens. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. They said, somehow we've got to stop this population growth of the Israelites. And the way that we're going to do that, if you're a girl, you survive, you go on. But if you're a guy, you get thrown into the Nile River. Well, in the Nile River, there's poisonous snakes. There's just water. You could drown in the water. There's crocodiles. There's all kinds of bad things that can happen. So basically, it was a death sentence. That basically, they were saying, okay, all the sons, not just the firstborn, but all the sons are to be thrown into the Nile. So that's what they're growing up in, or that's the environment that we come upon when we enter Exodus chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Here's the scenario. She knows the rules. She knows that as a young boy... He's supposed to be thrown into the river. That is, that he's supposed to die. And she decides that she's not going to do that. It says that she looked and saw that he was a fine child. Well, what parent has not looked at their children and said this is a fine child? But the word that's used there is more than just physical beauty. It wasn't just that she was captivated by the physical appearance. I guarantee you, when that little boy smiled, her face lit up. What she saw in here was, even at this age... This word that's used is word of character. When it says fine, it's like we would say, well, that's a man of fine character. What she sees here is that God really has purpose for this young man. So she decides to do something that was really risky. She's going to hide this child. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what the rules were back in those days, but I imagine that very much, had she been caught with this child and breaking the Pharaoh's commands and laws, that not only would they take the child, but they would probably take her other two children. She's got got another boy and another girl. And they would probably take the whole family and they would probably execute them. They would probably punish them, uh, even to the point of death there. There would be something very drastic. So this is why it took a lot of courage. This wasn't just, you know, I think I'll keep this one. She decides there because she knows that God has great, great purpose. And when we begin to, to see this, we see that this purpose goes even a little bit farther. 
Notice in verse 1 it talked about that, how they were uh, from the Levites' family. Well, this is before the Levites in one way was even established. The, the law hasn't come yet in, in that sense. And so the, the fullness of what a Levite was is not really even as really fully established. It's partially established. But what we see there is that this is a priestly nation or this part of the nation. Their, their job is to be the pastors, to be the leaders, the spiritual leaders. They come, they have this child, and they know that God has a purpose to lead spiritually through this child. I don't think that she ever began to imagine all that God would do through the life of Moses. She just sees this fine child, and she knows that God has incredible, incredible purpose. And so she decides, I'm going to risk my entire family, risk all that I am, because I believe that God's will, God's purpose for this child is greater than, than the risk that I'm about to take. I mean, let that sink in. I mean, one thing that we don't have to convince ourselves about, really, is the love that we have for our children. It's just an amazing thing that God puts into our hearts. She loves the child. We understand that. But there's also two other children. There's her family. And so there's a, a, a place there that she has to make a decision that really would prompt some fear. Because the one thing I want you to notice about this, there's many times that people have responded biblically, spiritually to God when God says, Noah, go build an ark. Well, that's a command. You're obedient or disobedient. There's other times when God said, and he pronounces something, and he says it, and you can either rebel against it or you can respond and be obedient to it. Do you notice that there's no mention of God commanding here? And I think that if God had commanded, you save this child, that we would hear that. No, within her own processes, in her own mind, in her own heart, she's knowing this fine child has purpose. And yet it's not just obeying the command. She's trusting God in this place where there's really a lot of fear. I mean, we're growing children now in a a day and time when, uh, I mean, just putting them on the school bus. Can you remember, for those that have done, I know a lot of people drop your children off nowadays, but if you've ever had to put your child on the school bus that first day, that was dramatic. That was challenging. And even though you knew that that bus, you know, every day came by and that was safe and, you know, even somebody like Mr. Bob that would be driving it and, you know, he's going to take care of your child, just that you were going to put your child in a place of vulnerability it's scary. Can you remember for some of you the first time that you sent your kids off to camp, an overnight camp? And it was going to be the first night that they were away from home, sleeping under some other authority than your own? And the fear that can come into your heart? Well, for some of you, you haven't approached this yet, and uh, we'll be praying for you as you do. But when they get those car keys for the first time, and, and, and they drive off, and you expect them to be back at 9.30 because that's the plan. And yet, it's 5.30. And there's four hours of just wondering, okay, did they get where they were supposed to go? Make sure you call when you get there. When you, and, of course, my girl, our girls were pretty good about that. And they, would, they became very good at it because we would ride them uh, when they didn't. You did not call when you got there. And they knew by that second time that we would come embarrass them. We would come to the party... We would come to the skating rink. We would come wherever. You did not call. 
That was not beyond us. It's not beyond me today. I would drive to North Carolina right now if that meant that I was, that's just what we do. But can you imagine truly the fear that's going through this situation? Well, look what happens, verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, she took, him, uh, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with a bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it on the reeds of the, of the river bank. You, you may know the story if you grew up in church. She, she makes a little basket. And she secures it. She makes sure that it can hold water. But basically, she takes this little basket. She takes a three-month-old baby, and, and she puts the baby Moses into it, and she puts it out there on this place that has crocodiles and dangerous snakes and it's a, it's a moving, the Nile River is a moving river. It's not the Stoic River. So there's a rapid there. In other words, it's going to be going downstream and all kinds of bad things can happen. We see this because there's a time when she realizes that, okay, I, I can't do this anymore and, and I've got to make a choice here and I've got to let go. I want to make a real, real big difference today between the what and the why. When I grew up, guys, most of the preaching was always about the what. Do this, do this, do this, do this. If you're a good person, you'll do this, 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 and this. And I grew up with a whole bunch of the what's. This list of things that good people and good Christians and people that love Jesus, that you would do this. And sometimes we weren't always told the why. It'd be really easy to give this story and say, okay, if you are going to be a good mother, a good parent, then the what is you trust your children to the Lord and you float them down the river. I mean, maybe not literally, but you, you put them in the basket and you let them go. But why did she do it? What's the why behind the what? Well, this story in Exodus doesn't tell us, but later on in the New Testament, we actually find out the why. Real quick, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11 is the story of faithful people, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. These people were just faithful to God, and it's the stories and little clips of, of just how they responded in faith to the things before them. And look what verse 23 says. What's the first two words? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months for, um, uh, by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. In other words, she responded in faith. Now, faith of what? Faith that the baby would be quiet? Faith that they were smart enough to hide a baby from people that would be passing by? What do you think her faith is in? What do you think these parents' faith is in? And you, you can go ahead and say it out loud. God. Now, now that's Sunday School 101, right? Guys, do you realize that God's not going to give you more than Sunday School 101 sometimes? That sometimes that we're just acting simple faith? Well, what is her faith in? God's sovereignty and his sufficiency. In an unknown world, I, I'm honest, guys, I'm probably more prone to fear for my grandchildren now than I was for my children. Because at least in my, with my children, I think that a certain level of ignorance came. 
Well, I'm smart enough. I'm bad enough. I'm tough enough. We'll, we'll protect them. That's what the gun's for. You know, I don't have a gun. And now with grandchildren, much more aware of the sicknesses and the illnesses and the sinfulness of this world. And yet here's what God has called us to do. I am sovereign God and I'm sufficient God. What is sovereign? He's that God truly, there's no one thing, there's nothing at all that is beyond the control of God. Doesn't mean necessarily that God is moving everybody around as pawns on a chessboard. God is sovereign and yet he's given us free will. In other words, that you make choices and you have freedom of choice. And somehow, even though those things seem to be really opposite things, they actually, in the majesty of God, in the wisdom of God, they work together. And so you and I have free choice at the same time. All those choices are really not separated from a sovereign God. And so my, my grandchildren growing up, your children growing up, your great-grandchildren growing up in this world of all the unknowns when there can be incredible, incredible fear, what's the one thing that is going to bring us some sanity to that, some groundedness in that? The good plan that we come up with? See, I think that's how we were kind of fooled on child number one. You just come up with a good plan. You work the plan. How many of y'all started parenting like that? Well, at least one other is being honest this morning. And Sandy, how long did that last before you found out this has nothing to do with the plan? I'm not saying you don't have a plan, but you found out that somehow children don't always follow the plans. Yeah. <laughs> and how old is Daniel now? 30, yeah. <laughs> See, they didn't come with instructions. More importantly, they didn't read the instructions. And so we have this fear. And this fear, guys, can come into us from all different avenues of life. What's the world going to be like? What about my child? We all want our children to be successful in, in so many different ways. And yet that vulnerability comes into our lives. And here's the constant, guys. Here's what she acted upon when she placed little Moses into a basket, put him into a, really, a, a, she put him into the bulrushes there. That was kind of the calm water. But eventually it took him out and it took him down river. And, and you can't convince me that she said, okay, here's what I know what's going to happen. Pharaoh's daughter is going to be out there and she's going to find them and everything's going to turn out. I really don't know that Jochebed knew what would happen five seconds, ten seconds, five minutes, five hours, five days after she released her child. And here's the one thing. I'm not a very smart guy. But here's the one thing I figured out with all these years of life. I used to think that the right plan and the right effort would produce the right results. And the older that I get, guys, you can have the right plan and you can put in the right effort. And you are not in control. That's not a pessimistic way of looking at life. That's because we're in a broken world, okay? The Garden of Eden was the world that was perfect, and, and, and God had everything arranged in the right way. We live in a broken world now, and things will happen this next week that you didn't know about this morning. And for you and I as parents, or you and I as adults, we're going, okay, we've learned at least to kind of how to 
to, to, to kind of salvage the best of that and navigate that. But for our kids, let's, let's be honest. Don't we kind of want to pave that way? Don't we just want to kind of make it so paved that with the right plan and the right amount of work, here's the result. Please have a plan. Okay. Proverbs tells us it's good to have a plan. Teach your children to work hard. That's biblical. But understand this. Sovereign God, sovereign God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God, his grace, his love, his care, that's the only consistent thing in this broken world. And so as we raise our children, we have this vulnerability that we have that's going on. But what happens in this story? Look at verses 5 and 6. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and said her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him, and she said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Well, she's fully aware of the laws of the day. She can probably find out in a very short time that this is a male and not a female. It wouldn't have taken too long to, to kind of figure that one out. And so she knows that this one really should not survive by the Pharaoh's edict. And yet the Bible says that she has compassion. It doesn't say that she's a believer. It doesn't say that, that she is one who worships God. It just said all of a sudden she had compassion. And she decides that she's going to take Moses and that she's going to what we would call adopt and raise Moses. At that time, Moses' older sister Miriam is kind of following along the shoreline And look what happens, verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? It looks like you're going to keep this child. You're going to need somebody to take care of the child and to nurse this this child. Do you want me to go find somebody? Verse 8, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. She, She releases Moses really not knowing what's going to happen to this young child, but believing that God has a purpose for his life. God works. You can say, well, that was just kind of coincidence. Or that was, she was really lucky. She was having a lucky day. No, he's a sovereign God. He has a plan for our lives, and he had a plan for Moses' life. Moses is one of the Old Testament pictures of the Messiah. He's not the Messiah, but he's a picture of the Messiah, one that would lead his people out of captivity. And God's preserving that because God has great purpose. There's nothing for God to have, even working within free will, for this Pharaoh's daughter to come down. And maybe, I don't know what time she bathed in the Nile River. I don't know if that was a common practice. But she just happened to be there at that time. She happens to hear a baby crying. She happens to have compassion. Miriam comes along and says, do you want somebody to nurse her and take care of her? Yeah, why don't you go get somebody? And they go back and they get Jochebed. You can say, man, man, those coincidences really work together good. Or you can say, no, that God has a purpose in the midst of it. The Bible is filled with strange things that God did working his will and his way in the lives of his people. Verse 10. Verse 9. And Pharaoh's daughter said to him, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So you get what's happened? Okay. So let's go over Goes down river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, 
has compassion upon him, says, I will raise him as my own. In other words, this rule that says all the male children need to die, it doesn't apply to him. Why? Because it's going to be my child. And she takes him. And then she goes, okay, I need somebody to nurse and take care of him. She gets Jochebed to go do that, Moses' real mother, and pays him to do it. Sometimes God's just funny. Sometimes God is just really funny, guys. What's the moral of the story? What do we learn from this? There's going to be a lot of what's that God has called for us to do in life. To take good spiritual care to provide a a spiritual home for our, our kids, to grow them up, to know Christ, to love Christ, to follow hard after Christ. I would not excuse any of the what's. But let me give you this morning the reason why we did the why. It's because of God's sovereignty and sufficiency. When fear comes upon you, when you don't know and you're fearful of tomorrow, you really don't know the future of your child, you don't know the future of what's going to happen if this happens, if that happens, here's the one thing that you can rest in. This is the challenge of our faith. Not to come up with the perfect plan. Not to work the plan with all of our effort. We are to do those things. But our, the sufficiency of our, our kids, the future of our kids, I promise you, is not dependent on how good your plan is and how well you work the plan. But it's that God has purpose for that young man or that young daughter. And God is faithful to work his promises in your children. And some of you are here this morning, and your mom and dad didn't have a spiritual plan for you. And they didn't have a spirit, they weren't working a spiritual plan. They didn't have you in church every week and this, that, and the other. And yet today you love Jesus and you love Jesus well. Why? Because he's a sovereign, gracious, sufficient God. And he called you by name. And he made you his own. That's our hope, guys. And that does not take, you know, I'm still going to feel that pressure as a parent and as a grandparent. But I love the words of my, my daughter that just gave birth. She's very typical. She's, she's the older child. She read book after book after book. Trevor, my son-in-law, Master's, he's working on his doctor right now. Very smart guy. Very smart guy. So they've taken in all the information. And they've got it. You know, they got the plan. Well, we've read that if you keep them on a schedule, and you start very early, like right when they're born, and you, you put them to bed at this time because this is the time. And not one day into young Elliot's life, they said, the plan doesn't work. <laughs> it took them all of 24 hours to figure out that all this information is good. There's nothing wrong with that information. For example, to, to have your kids on a schedule and to, you know, to do those. Nothing wrong with that. That's wisdom. But it's also a shot in the dark, guys. <laughs> and so many things are like that when it comes to, to this great responsibility of parenting. So, so here, let me take this heavy weight off your shoulders if I could this morning. It is not the perfection of your plan. 
And it's not the perfection of you putting in all this effort to work the right plan. It is the perfection of a holy God who is gracious and kind, sovereign and sufficient. You rest in that this morning. You rest in that, in his graciousness. Work the plan. Work hard the plan. But don't rest in the plan. You rest in him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, how tempting it is to, to give you so many different areas of our life. But when it comes to our children, Father, to, to kind of take our children and put our arms around them and think that that's the safest place in the world that our child could ever exist. When perhaps metaphorically, Father, you have called us to put our children into a, a little basket and put in them into a raging river. and letting them go and trusting you with their future. Father, there, there, your word in Proverbs, it says there, there is great benefit of good plans. And Father, you applaud good, healthy work. And yet, Father, the lie that we can fall into, the bondage that we can fall into as parents today, is to really think that the security, the future, the promise, the hope of our children is squarely upon us. When we're right within this community, Father, of believers at CS this morning, there were ones that said, you know, I didn't have that growing up, but this is what God did. When I was 14 years old, he saved me. When I was 21 years old, he called me out of the miry pit and he put life into me. Father, thank you. But as much as we are to be planners and workers, thank you that that's not where our rest comes. And I pray that for these dear parents this morning, Father. Some of them facing things I could never even begin to imagine. The weight of the fear that tries to creep into their life. Father, this morning, will you let them rest in your sovereignty? Rest in your grace. Rest in your sufficiency. Father, all this we pray in the hope of the one that made it promise, uh, Father, that made it uh, happen, that every promise you've ever made has been answered, amen, in the work of Christ. And we pray in that powerful regard this morning. And we rest in that name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.